and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied there arose a murmuring of the grecians against the hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said it is not reason that we should leave the word of god and serve tables wherefore brethren look ye out among you seven men of honest report full of the holy ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business but we will give ourselves continually to, to prayer and to the ministry of the word and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose stephen a man full of faith and of the holy ghost and philip and prochorus and nicanor and timon and parmenas and nicolas a proselyte of antioch whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed they laid their hands on them and the word of god increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith this is the word of god we pray for you uh from cbc cbc is community bible church we've recently changed fellowship to church and uh we we miss one of our members here uh, who has uh, transferred nancy but i hope she is a blessing and not a pain uh and uh uh we thank you for receiving her into membership and from what i hear from pastor mario uh she and her husband vijay are serving and we are so glad for that and we miss you and uh we also thank you uh for um uh, just uh, pastor mario and his uh, desire to see the church grow here his friendship means a lot to me as well and so it is very rare to find uh, friends that are uh not competing but uh, encouraging one another so i thank god for him and i thank god for this church uh there is a need of many churches in mumbai and the fact that there are churches uh, there are two churches at least one on the other end of mumbai and one on the other end uh is is really a testament to god's grace and we want to see the between gaps filled uh, and the lord will fill it in his time so uh so those are my three introductory remarks um and as we study the book of acts today i want to just mention a couple of introductory biblical remarks number 1 the book of acts is what we would call a historical or a descriptive book it shows us the progression of how the church was in its incipient stage uh, nascent stage to growth and then all of the things that happened in the church so a caution a word of caution is don't take everything in the book of acts as directly relevant and applicable to you okay uh it 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 is uh, with great caution that you should approach the book of acts and i say that because some people look at acts chapter 2 for instance and look at people speaking in tongues and uh, and they consider then that a historical event that needs to be repeated right and now these are the same people that don't like don't like acts 8 where the church is persecuted they don't want that event to be repeated persecution right they don't invite persecution so we need to be be sure that whatever we say is relevant to us uh, is actually principally there in acts because this is a historical book it's not a uh, it's not a uh, a book that's polemic or argumentative like galatians the book of galatians deals with uh, uh, a issue in the church that said you know you want to get saved y- you you need to do all these things to get saved 
And Paul is correcting that. He's saying, no, no, you only get saved by believing in Jesus Christ, right? What we just read in the catechism. And so he's correcting something, which is why there's an argument going on. And so that applies to us very directly. This book, Acts, we need to be cautioned that we don't apply it directly. Not everything in the book of Acts that is historical is relevant and immediately significant for us. But this here's a second biblical point. Just because there are no, uh, not everything is relevant doesn't mean nothing is relevant. So don't go on the other extreme. Don't, don't look at the book and say, hey, this is a historical account, just like, you know, just like Gandhi Jayanti uh, does not matter to us except that we get a holiday today. Uh, same thing with this book. Uh, this book doesn't matter to us. There are, I think, solid golden nuggets here for churches today. So with these two cautions, let's look at the text. And here's my main point. Growing churches face Growing churches face and solve challenges. So, so growing churches face and solve challenges. That's my main point today. All right. And, and, and we will look at the uh, facing of the challenge and the solving of the challenge. All right. These are the two things that we see in this text, I believe. So growing churches face and solve challenges. And we'll look at the facing of the challenge and the solving of the challenge in the text today. So let me just start with this word growing, growing. We all like growth, don't we? But growth needs to be done in the right way, right manner. So we'll, uh, look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, right? Uh, there, there are disciples who are increasing in those days. So, so in order to understand what kind of days they were, we need to go to the verses before, right? And what has just happened in the verses before, that is in chapter 5, is the apostles were ridiculed and the apostles were, uh, were almost killed. Uh, they were persecuted uh, because they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? That, that is just what has happened. Right? And, and, and look at verse 41 of chapter 5. I, I know it's not there, but look at it in your text if you have your Bible. Look at that. The apostle left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy. Counted worthy of what? Of suffering disgrace for the name. And the name is Jesus Christ. The apostles found it a privilege to face difficulty, difficult times for the sake of Jesus. And look at what they did. Did they stop? No, they kept saying day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. Look at this. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the chosen one, the Messiah. So you have a challenge here for the apostles, right? And the apostles are facing persecution simply for sharing the news, the good news of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't stop them. It is the name that motivates them to keep talking about him. And the name is Jesus. They keep going. And, and, and they keep going intentionally. I say intentionally because look at, they go from temple courts and from house to house. There is an intentionality 
behind these apostles. So in those days, in those days, persecution days, challenges days, right? What is happening in those days? The number of disciples was increasing, it says. Increasing in number and increasing in depth. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, look at the growth that's happening. How is the growth happening? I mean, so this is a smaller church. We've been here. We've been here. Trust me, the Lord builds his church. I know there are times when we look around and we say it's just us. But the Lord will build his church. Do you believe that? He will build his church. And so look at how he built his church back then. And I think this is exactly how he will build his church today. So if you look at 542, look at what they did. What did they do? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming what? The good news of Jesus, uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then keep, keep going further down in 6, 7, in 6, chapter 6, verse 7. How did they grow? How did they grow? So the word of God, and let me see here, and the word of God continued to increase. The word of God increased. That's why disciples increased. Did you understand? There's a direct connection, direct correlation between the word spreading and growth happening. Uh, if I were to put it another way, a more blunt, blunt way, you can't have true growth without true word being spread. And what is the true word? That Jesus is the Messiah. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and if you look at Acts chapter 2, where there was a beginning of these disciples meeting. A church is another word for gathering, right? Gathering. It can be used generally for people gathering. This is a church because we are gathering. But more specifically, a church, a local church, is, is people that are, look at verse 42, devoted themselves, chapter 2, verse 42, 2, verse 42. These people that God saved, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The church is then a gathering of people that devotes themselves to the Bible. The apostles' teaching is another way of saying the Bible. We devote ourselves to the teaching of the Bible. Now, what does devote yourself to the teaching mean? It means that you understand the Bible and that you apply the Bible. It's, church growth is not rocket science. If every member of this church is a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then true disciples will be devoted to God's word. And God's word, guess what? God's word is not confined to this little hall. It, it, it goes with you to your workplace. It goes with you to your house. It goes with you to your neighbors. God's word goes everywhere, right? And so what we have here is church, uh, this church is growing in disciples. Uh, another uh, side note, a Christian is a disciple. A Christian is a follower. There is no distinction here between Christians. If you're a Christian today, as a Christian, you are claiming that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So how do they grow? They grew through the word coming back to chapter 6 then. This is a church. Uh, I know this is a church because in chapter 1, Jesus told them, don't go anywhere but stay in Jerusalem. Chapter 1 verses 4, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. 
And that gift is explained in verse 5. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was future for Jesus. And it happens in chapter 2. They get baptized with the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit then distinctly calls this the biblical church. Okay. So we have, through the word, this growth and this Jerusalem church increasing. They were increasing in number and they were increasing in depth. depth. And I say depth because these people who call themselves disciples, they repented, it says, right? Chapter 2, Peter just gives them a very stern, stern speech, stern sermon. And what do they do? What does Peter say to them? This is what you must do. Uh, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Repent is not just feeling sorry. Repent is turning away from what you are doing, having a change of mind, and then turning to what God wants you to do. That's repentance. How do I know a thief has repented? I know a thief has repented if he has changed his mind and thinking God's thoughts after him, and he is no longer thieving, but he's actually working hard and giving sacrificially. That's how we know repentance. So true disciples then repent, right? You repent of your sin. You don't just feel sorry because you got caught. (laughs) You don't just feel false shame because your family is shamed. You feel like David felt in Psalm 51 where he recognizes that his sin uh, causes God to have wrath over him. And then his sin is a crime against God not just a crime against society. And that that crime needs to be paid for. And so David David says, you know, may the bones that you have broken rejoice in you. See, David's not so concerned about the consequence of his sin. He's, he's concerned about his relationship with God. One of the consequences of sin is that your fellowship with God is broken. And David wants that restored. Now for us New Testament saints, we know we can run to the cross because Jesus paid it all. He's paid for all the past, the present, and the future sins. We run to the cross because he's paid it all. So two churches then have repented people. Two churches have, again we see in chapter 2, they were baptized. Baptized. What is baptism? It is the first step of faith to the covenant community. That's baptism. Baptizo is to dip. And so these two churches then had repented people, they had believing people, they had baptized people. That's the church. So this is what I mean by a church. A church is a gathering of people who truly believe in the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him through repentance and baptism. And continue to devote themselves in the word of God. That's the true church of God. If you are that kind of church, if you are that kind of church, you will grow. You will grow. Because God grows you. You know what? From the beginning to the end, God is the one that saves you and keeps you. You do not save yourself. And let me tell you, you cannot keep yourself. God holds us fast. He will hold us fast till the end because he promises. So that's growing churches. uh, uh, And and we saw they were increasing. But then growing churches 
you might think, oh, if he's growing or she's growing, uh, if, someone grow, if someone is growing, then they should not face any problems. That's what growth means, right? Growth in our mind means let's not face any problems at all. That's growth. Problem-free life, right? Uh, just like a pregnant woman who is about to give birth to something beautiful faces challenges <laughs> in spite of it being a beautiful thing, right? It's a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Maybe some women are like, no, it's not that beautiful. But, but, but it's a beautiful thing in terms of the terminal point. There's a child coming up. In spite of it being a beautiful thing, it's a challenge being pregnant, right? My wife was pregnant twice and it is a challenge. And so in the same way, in spite of churches growing being a beautiful thing, here's an inevitable fact. You will face challenges. You will face challenges. And so does this church. So look at, look at what happens here. 6.1, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we have some ethnic challenges. I say ethnic challenges because even though both of them are Jews, both so the church is still in Jerusalem, right? And most of the people that got saved in Acts 2 are Jews. So even though they are Jews, they have this... Uh, distinction that you are Jews that are from Jerusalem we are Jews that are from Europe and the other surrounding areas that's what Hellenistic Jews means these are people that did not stay and they're not native to Jerusalem right this is something similar to our day and age where we say where where you know sometimes we hear even Marathi people say you know we need only Maharashtans if you're South Indian you're not a real Mumbaiker right a real Mumbaiker is somebody who is only from Maharashtra, right? Only Marathi people. So that's the kind of ethnic strife that they have here. And let me, let me be frank. I think we see this in churches today, don't we? Ethnic strife. Maybe not ethnic. How about caste strife? Maybe in the urban setting, not caste strife. How about class strife? We have, don't we, a dichotomy in the popular culture between those that are educated, uneducated, poor and rich. And, and because the society tells us, well, the educated is more important than the uneducated and the rich are more significant than the poor, we bring those frameworks to the church. And, 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 I, and, I, and I know you saw the text. It didn't say, well, a church is a gathering of rich people. It didn't say that. Neither did it say a church is a gathering of educated people, right? What's a church? What comprises a church? Are true followers of Jesus who believe in the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who repent of their sins and who devote themselves to the breaking of bread and to the apostles' teaching. That's a church. Nothing about ethnic strife. And then, but the first challenge in the first church is an ethnic strife. Church, make sure you Recognize the challenge, but make sure you kill it right away. If there is someone in your church who is poor, may he feel just as part of the family as the rich person. If there is somebody that is in your church that is uneducated, may he or she feel just as much part of your family, church family, as an educated person. Because he or she is a believer and therefore a brother and sister in Christ. So ethnic challenges... But then some physical challenges. 
you know, amazing. The first strife is about food. <laughs> Have you ever been to a marriage? What do they talk about in marriages? Uh, usually not the service, right? Especially not the message. I think that's right. The last thing that people talk about in marriages. They talk about the food. And here we have the first challenge in the church is about food, right? Look at what, they, what it says. Uh, Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so I, I want to say something right off the bat. You see, these disciples did not have to be told, you need to take care of widows. Let's have a widow program. They were doing it anyway. So look at the compassion that flows out of true gospel people, right? We are compassionate people, especially of the people that are of the household of faith. Right? You don't need to set up a widow program to help a widow. <laughs> you don't need to set up an orphan program to help an orphan. Just call them home and feed them. Ask them how the groceries are doing. Ask them how, they can, how you can pray for them. Sometimes these programs get in the way of many things. Right? Don't need a program for that. Just do it. Have a relationship with people here. Right? But, but, but the first physical challenge is that of food. And they felt like discriminated. Hebraic Jews' widows were being overlooked, they are saying, because the Hellenistic, uh, the Hellenistic Jews were complaining, right? Uh, because they're from outside, remember? So, they, so they were complaining that these insiders are getting all the first and best food, and we're getting the, the uh, saddhanam, we say in our Telugu, right? We're getting the old food, the night food, right? The, uh, that's what we're getting. So this is a legitimate problem, and that can occur in our churches too. So not the same exact challenge, but, but challenges like this can occur in our churches, in your church. When somebody feels discriminated, somebody feels like they are not part of you, that you are overlooking them. That can happen in churches. It happened in the first church. But then, I must say, this is a legitimate challenge. So there is a tendency for somebody to say, hey, what are you fighting about food, man? Just get over it. Or you're not that spiritual if you're fighting about food. And there's a tendency then to dismiss the challenge because it's not spiritual. It's a physical challenge. But look at the apostles, uh, the apostles' perspective on this. Here's, here's what they say in verse 3. Most misunderstood verse. Here, here they say, uh, the last sentence, we will turn this, look at the word responsibility, and, and let me see what it says over here, uh, duty, right, whom we will appoint to this duty. So the apostles recognize that this is a duty, this is a church responsibility. If there's discrimination in the church, it is the church's responsibility, not the elders alone, but the entire church's responsibility to solve the challenge. A lot of times because of the structure of the church and because of the hierarchy in our popular culture, we think that, oh, there's a, uh, the problem in the church, well, that, church problem, not my problem. <laughs> church problem, not my problem. No, that's not true. Church problem, if you are part of the church, is your problem. Right? We live in a country where somebody's getting, uh, in, a, in a city, sometimes uh, that somebody's getting unjustly treated, right, or is beaten up. Some people just walk on and by. They say, I got to get to school. I got to get to work. I can't handle this. But then we also live in a city where some people just compassionately intervene, right? 
They don't want the person to get beaten up. What is happening? Stop it. Where does this sense of justice come from? It comes from God. That's where, and so we must be, as Christians, extremely just people. Because we understand that justice for us came at a cost, at a huge cost, the cost of our Savior's life. So justice should be ringing in our heads. But first of all, most importantly, for the people within our church. We must, we must seek justice for our church. There's so much that can go into here. I can pre- keep preaching. But so many, uh, so many organizations have started uh, their organizations to seek justice and mercy for those outside while completely neglecting those that are within the church. Remember, this is a church passage. You want justice, seek justice in the church first among the people, right? So these are legitimate challenges. And so the church will face, you will face legitimate challenges that you cannot just overlook or over-spiritualize. You must treat it. So you will face challenges. And, and I know that that's the, that's the Sunday morning sermon you wanted to hear. You, you, you have problems and you'll have more, right? But let me tell you this, by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the word of God, uh, a growing church also solves challenges. Solves challenges, right? And so look at, look at, look at right away that this, this solution is not provided by an elite group of people or an educated group of people. It is the entire congregation that summons itself and considers a solution for this particular challenge. Look at verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples. You see the word there? All the disciples. Now, Consider this. This is probably a 5,000 member church. <laughs> it's a huge church. And so maybe the elders could have said, I mean, we cannot, I mean, let's just solve it. The elders could have said that. Hey, let's just, let's just do this, man. What? You're calling meeting and everything. But, but the apostles had the wisdom from the Lord, I believe, because it's in scripture rated for us to say, we got to gather the entire elect. We got to gather entire disciples. Now, I'm not saying this is prescriptive for us, that we must do it this way all the, all the time. But it's interesting that the first challenge, the whole congregation tries to solve it. So verse 2, so 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, right? And then verse 3, uh, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. So, uh, so it's not the elders that are choosing the brothers and sisters, uh, the, the uh, seven men for taking care of the solution. It's the brothers and sisters is the entire church. You see that in chapter 3, uh, verse 3. Then in verse 5, uh, this proposal, verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, right? The whole group approved of the solution. The whole congregation. Now you might say, well, this, is, this does not work pragmatically. This does not work in the real world, right? Getting everybody on the same page. It just does, it just does not work. You're not realistic. It's just, this is not natural. And my answer to that question and, the, and that challenge is, you are right. It is not natural for a bunch of people to agree together on a specific solution the exact same way. It is, in fact, supernatural. And I say that because who are these people? Disciples of Jesus Christ. With the same mind. With the same God. With the same desire to see him worshipped in the church. Right. You deviate when you deviate from Jesus. A slight deviation from Jesus causes huge catastrophe. 
And so the same-mindedness comes not from us agreeing on each other's terms and conditions and, and writing sort of a, a contract together. The same-mindedness comes from Jesus, looking to Jesus, seeking his desire for our church, right? And so that's, that's supernatural, that 5,000 people would gather and all of them agree on these people, <laughs> The Hellenistic, notice here, I will make this point again, but the Hellenistic uh, widows did not say, oh, let's, this is our representative. We want a representative because if you keep your representative, then they will do the same thing. We will not get our food again, right? So, they did not do that. The whole church gathered together and said, no, no, let's do what's best for the church. Not for our, not what's best for our ethnicity, it could have become a very big ethnic warfare here, right? Let's not do it. Let's not politicize this. And isn't it true that in so many churches around us, these kind of issues are politicized to by pastors to manipulate people, by congregants to manipulate pastors. They politicize this, and that is not the mind of Christ, right? So we solve challenges then together. You will face challenges. You need to solve it together. But then, notice, they don't solve challenges with compromise. They, challenge, they solve challenges without any compromise to the word of God. So look with me in verse 2. They gathered, 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So some people, some elders love this verse, right? Because they look at this verse and they say, uh, you know, some brother tells, tells the elder, can you help me with the chairs? And they say, it will not be right for me to put the chairs down and neglect the word, the ministry of the word and prayer, right? As if putting chairs down is above him. That is not the intent of this text, right? If it was, the apostles would not have spent so much time trying to solve the problem. In fact, we see from the word duty here, responsibility in verse four, uh, verse three, that they think this is a le legitimate responsibility, legitimate duty. So their concern was not so much we're above this, right? Uh, we're above setting up the mic and putting the chairs down. No, their concern is we're supposed to be doing something. And what are the elders supposed to be doing? To, be, to, to minister the word of God. That's what they're supposed to be doing. So, I mean, you know, there's a joke. Uh, Johnson George is one of our associates. And he sa said this joke once. He went to a, uh, he, works, he works in Gujarat. And he went to one church member's house. And they had a little boy. And he asked the little boy, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I want to be a pastor. And Johnson George said, oh, I feel so good after so many years of ministry, you know. There's one little boy who aspires to want to be a pastor, right? And so he says, that's great. Why do you want to be a pastor, you know? Hoping for a good godly answer, right? The little boy says, because pastors only work on Sundays, right? And I want to work only on Sunday, right? And isn't that true? Like, like those that slog, slog in Bombay. It is a slog. I have a member in my church. Who, who goes to work two hours, to work two hours back, and then has to work for 10 hours at work, right? So that's 14 hours. He leaves at six and then he comes at eight, sometimes 10, sometimes 11. 
it is a challenge, right? And so for the congregants sitting here, I'm sure you work just as hard. And so when the pastor says, you know, we need to do this, maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, you don't have a job like I do. <laughs> you only work on Sundays, right? But you must recognize that this job that I'm doing right now, opening the word for you, is, is a very significant task because I cannot give you my opinion. I cannot wing it. I have to tell you, thus says the Lord. And you know what happened to the Old Testament prophet when he claimed to speak on behalf of God and was not really? You know what happened to him? They stoned him to death. That's how serious it is. Why? Because when I come up here and I open the word of God, I am saying, this is what God says. And when your listening ears hear it and your mind processes it, you need to submit to it. To not submit to the word of God would be to rebel not against me or my Bible. I'm not upset. It's to rebel against God. This is weighty business. The 30, 40 minutes that we have here. Weighty business. I am telling you what God is saying. And so you must be able to see, is this what God is really saying, right, from the text? And I must be able to explain it clearly. So this is weighty business. And so they could not compromise. The apostles could not compromise on this. And the elders never compromised on this. They spent time in the word. And it would be very natural for, for them to spend time in the word. Because as I just said, verse 7, so the word of God spread. Chapter 5, verse 42, and the good news that they proclaimed spread. It is the word of God that does the work in the soul of man. Unbelievers, how are they going to come to Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word. Believers, how are you going to grow? Through the preaching and application of the word. The power is in the word. And the Holy Spirit uses the word to change people's minds and hearts and affections. So that they can do what Jesus said. Loving God more than heart, soul, mind, strength. That means loving God with every fiber of my being. And loving others more than I love myself because my natural tendency is to love myself. So we need to find a solution without compromise. But look at, look at how they did not compromise here either. Look at verse 5. They said, it says, uh, actually verse 3 itself, they say, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. So they chose seven men maybe because of the size of the size of the church 5000 people maybe they said we need seven people right to handle this one person can't do it uh, some people look at this oh perfect number I, I don't see that here <laughs> all right it's just seven people <laughs> they chose seven people all right but notice seven men right from among you which means what does this among you mean they did not have an outside hire they did not say uh, let's call a consultancy group right they said no no from among the church let's choose seven men to handle this issue. And, and I notice what kind of men these are. These are seven men known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And so verse 3 here, what does it say? Uh, seven men of good repute. So it says good repute. That means they have a good reputation among the church. 
Uh, what is a good reputation? That no accusation sticks to you. That's a good reputation. If there's an accusation made. Now, let me just say, godly men and women will receive tons of accusations because we are with Jesus and people that hate Jesus hate us, right? So we will receive a lot of accusations. But a good reputation is when an accusation does not stick. It's like, it's like water and oil. It just doesn't stick. That's a good reputation. So he's saying, find seven men who have this good reputation. And they're known for it. Notice what it says here. Known for their good reputation, right? Uh, again, verse 3, pick out from among you men of good repute. So this, this word repute has embedded in it. Everybody knows this, these people are good people. These people are good people, right? Everybody knows it. So first of all, they didn't compromise because they wanted men of character, right? And the character is what? That they have a good reputation in the church and outside. But notice, these are men that have the right competence. Look at what it says in verse 3, full of the spirit and of wisdom. So their solution is not just going to be a pragmatic solution. Their solution is going to be a spiritual solution. Why? Because they are going to form this solution through the help of the spirit. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is not just knowledge. Some people, they, they, they make a mistake. Oh, let's make this man a finance guy of the church because he works in a bank. Well, see, that's not just, that, that's not the only criteria. No, make him a finance guy for sure. If he is full of the spirit and wisdom, you see. And, and, and you're about to register your church and you're going to think through trustees. You're going to vote on a lot of stuff. You're going to formalize yourself. You, you must be thinking in this way. That's why I picked the passage, by the way. People that are in the trustee, everybody likes that leadership. You know, I want to be a leader. I want to be part of the trustee group, right? I want to be, I want to be the face. But you know what? You can't have a face that represents, that has bad reputation or is not spiritual or is not wise. You just can't have that face on the, on, on the books. All right? So they had spiritual so competence in spirit and wisdom. Wisdom is nothing but applied knowledge, not just how much knowledge you have, but what do you do with this knowledge? The wisest person I know is my grandmother, my father's, my father's mother. She's, Nancy's named after her. Her name was Nancy. 10th grade, not, not, that, not that educated. But wisdom oozed out of that woman. She knew how to handle people. She knew how to handle social circumstances. She lived with good reputation. Even till today, everybody knows her as no-nonsense Nancy. Right? Because she lived out her Christianity. Right? Now She had her flaws like everybody else does. But she was that woman of good repute. Right? And so we need these men then who have, without compromise, good spirit and good character and competence, right? And then they say, uh, so without compromise also means that they will turn this responsibility over to them. That these men who will be hired or who will be put up as people who will take care of the solution will take this as a duty, right? Appoint this as duty. In India, we have this dichotomy between, okay, Paid, paid duties and unpaid duties. So paid duty gets priority, unpaid duty gets lesser priority. Volunteerism gets lesser priority. And I think we've adopted this from the world. We've adop adopted this. Everything you do here in the church is volunteer. It's volunteer, right? 
But is it really? Is it really volunteer? Do you realize the cost that was paid for you to be born again? Do you realize the cost? There was a payment paid for you to be called a Christian. Do you realize that? That Jesus Christ, the righteous man on the cross of Calvary, thought about you and all the perpetration, all the sins that you committed against the Father when he died on the cross and beaten and torn. And that when he rose again and said, because I have risen, you will rise with me. Your resurrection power comes from Jesus. There is a huge cost for you to be sitting here and praising God this morning. And so don't think of this as volunteer work. Work. The payment has been paid by Jesus Christ. Even your boss can never pay you as much as Jesus has already paid it. He's paid the price. He's paid the price for your soul. He's bought you. That's what redemption is. He's bought you out of slavery to sin into his marvelous light. When you die today, you don't need to. Your relatives will not cry as those without hope. They will cry. We're hoping that we are going to see Ma. We're going to see Dad one day again. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. A huge payment has been paid. So church work is not volunteer work. It's an attitude of gratitude. Oh God, you did so much for me. I can never repay it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And yet our boss who, who shouts at us and who yells at us and who insults us at our workplace gets more respect than the church does because you might lose a paycheck. What does it help a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So brothers and sisters, let me challenge you. In this growing pains, you're going to find your niche in the church. But until that time, keep serving. If you're not serving in the church, you're warming the chairs and going, you're guests, you're not members. That's what guests do. And you don't expect a guest to come to your house and go for vegetable shopping and cook for himself, do you? If you do, don't invite me, Right? That's what you do for guests. If you're a family member, what do you do? You, you come in. <laughs> you can't keep telling mom, you know, uh, mom, you know, make me this, make me that. No, mom's someday going to say, uh, get up, rascal. I mean, get up and start helping in the house. Right? Because you're a family member. And family members help each other. So you must help each other. If work gets in the way, that's probably not a good work for you then. It sounds very challenging, but, and it sounds very harsh, but hey, listen to me. What good is it for man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Some disciples are not growing because we saw disciples grow. They're not growing because they're not contributing to their own welfare. Do you understand that serving the Lord, growing, growing in the Lord is actually so good because it helps your own soul as you grow? Your own soul is refreshed by it. So without compromise. But look at the solution was applied prayerfully. The solution was applied prayerfully. They, they, what did they do? They presented verse 6, these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, before we get to prayerfully, let me say something here. Notice something about the list there. I know it's just a very small list, but chose Stephen, man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That was the criteria, right? Full of spirit and wisdom, right? So full of faith and Holy Spirit. So they had to be regenerate at the least, right? Also Philip, 
Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. Now, why is Nicholas's location mentioned? Nicholas and, and Antioch, look at it, a convert from Judaism. A convert to Judaism. So this is probably a Hellenist. <laughs> right? And so they were wise in who they picked. Right? They didn't have equal representation. It was not four Hebraic and three Hellenistic people. They, that was not their criteria. Right? But they did have one Hellenistic man who seemed to be man full of faith. Right? That was their criteria. It doesn't matter who it is and what color their skin is or which location they come from. What matters is these people are full of faith. And so there were Hellenistic men who were full of faith as well. Right? So, but they applied it prayerfully. They presented them disciples who prayed and laid their hands on them. So this is nothing, there's no supernatural sort of uh, uh, magic flowing through the hands of these apostles. It was an approval of these apostles. Yes, these men, these are the men. It is like when mom and dad say, yes, this is the boy. This is the girl you should marry. She is a good girl. He is a good boy. That's what this means, right? And the apostles knowing that they are uh, people of the word and we know they had a special task hearing from God and giving it to his church right in the form of written word uh, they knew it that these men were good men so the solution is always applied prayerfully don't rush into things church don't rush into solutions just because it's pragmatically feasible does not mean it is biblically plausible you need to slowly prayerfully with dependence on God get to the solution and when you do that when you are a church that faces challenges and solves them biblically faces challenges solves them biblically here's what happens verse 7 so the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly did you, did you see that now, I don't know what if your translation says that but let me see and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied look at that word what is the word greatly who did that the word of god so you know uh, we all want a big church right? i mean it'd be nice to have a big church but you know that big churches come with big challenges <laughs> and big churches come with big responsibilities i mean if you cannot handle a small church it's a stewardship issue right if you can't set up the mic on time when there are 30 people here guess what it is very difficult to set up a mic on time when you have 300 people gathered <laughs> Do you realize? Uh, I mean, in our church, it's always the Lord's Supper being set up, right? I get there, 9.30, worship is going, and the Lord's Supper is being set up there. It, I mean, it's okay if there are 54 people, get it done quickly. What if there are 500 people? How are you going to set up the Lord's Supper in 10 minutes for 500 people? <laughs> See, God's word, they say, is not very practical. No, it's extremely practical. Very practical. God knows what he's doing. He knows how to grow his church. We just need to trust him. Trust the process. And the process is that when we follow God's word, face challenges biblically without compromise, find solutions, then he will grow his church. Notice also, the church growth here did not happen because of programs, did it? It happened when the disciples that are gathered, the few of you that gathered, took God's word seriously and applied it in your life. That's how growth happens. 
And you know who grows the church? Who grows the church? God ultimately grows the church, but he uses common disciples of Jesus Christ. You. You grow the church. Not a program, not a building. And I, I've heard this so many times by church, I need a building. What are you going to do with the building? Who's going to maintain it? <laughs> we have a building and it gets dirty on Sunday night and until next Saturday it doesn't get cleaned up because people don't have time to clean it. Who's going to maintain the building? <laughs> God knows what he's doing, folks. God knows what he's doing. Right? I mean, do you realize, you know, some of these people, they win a, win a car in KBC or in some other... A lot of these people don't realize they have to pay taxes on that. So yeah, you can win a Mercedes-Benz, but then your taxes are suddenly 13 lakhs. And you're like, well, I don't want the car anymore. I don't have 13 lakhs. And so a lot of people actually end up selling the car. Like, forget this. It's a huge maintenance, right? Shiny things are nice, but you have to pay for it. There's a cost, right? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jesus increased rapidly. And, and notice, no compromise here either. Look at the text. What did it say? And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem because you remember God told them, don't go out of Jerusalem yet, right? And a great many of the priests, and this is a parallel to disciples. That's the way I look at it. You are a priest. You're a priest. This is Saint Mario here. Saint Mario. Who made him a saint? Jesus Christ. So a number of these disciples became what? Obedient to the faith. Simple obedience. That's how you know you're growing. How do you know that your child is growing? Because they are listening to their teacher in the class, obeying them and doing what the teacher wants. They are listening to mom and dad in the home and they're doing what mom and dad wants. That's how you know the child is growing. How do you know the child is out of control? When they disobey. That's how you know the child is out of control. A child can come to you and say, I love Jesus, mama, I love Jesus. What does mama say? If you love Jesus, then can you not obey simple things that I tell you? So young children here, young men, listen to me. Like fake Christianity can be, can be smelt a mile away. Especially by your parents. <laughs> especially by your parents. Because they know you, they see you, they see your life. Husbands, if you are fake, you better believe your wife already knows. <laughs> Your wife already knows you're fake, right? Wives, if you are super spiritual in the house, your husband already knows that, oh man, she knows how to act very well. <laughs> because she's one thing in the house and she's another thing in the church. Wow, what an actress I have, right? You should go to Bollywood, right? So those that are close to us, that are believers, invite them into your life. It's a good thing. Because when they see these things, they say, hey, something's off. Maybe, maybe if you're married for a long time, do what I just did this morning with fear and trepidation. Ask your wife, have you seen any growth in me over the number of years that we've been married? Have you seen any growth? Am I the same person? If you're the same person, then you probably are not growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's how you grow the church. It's a very simple, very simple. Obey, obey God's word. Obey it. And it's difficult. But then I want to leave you with this. I want to leave, leave you with this. When disciples make disciples, when disciple makes disciples, God will grow his church. And I said that, and I want to show you two instances. First of all, here, they faced persecution, right? And right after facing persecution, what, did, what happened in verse 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 1? They increased, right? Now, go to chapter 8, verse 1. 
And Saul approved of their killing him. So this is right after Stephen gets stoned. So let's say one of your members gets killed outside. Mira Road Vander. Because they were sharing the gospel. What is your first reaction? Uh, brothers and sisters, maybe we should not meet for a couple of weeks just until the situation outside kind of dies down. That's what your reaction should be, right? But notice in chapter 8 verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Guess what? Persecution doesn't seem like a very good strategy to plant churches, right? All around Bombay, let's plant churches. Well, then what should we pray for? Persecution. <laughs> let's pray for persecution so that people will be jolted out of their lazy Christianity and be pushed away by God into difficult places to plant. I mean, let's not wait for persecution for that, all right? Let's do it today. <laughs> But you know what, if we, if we say to God, you know what God, I'm very comfortable here. I, I, I'm going to buy an apartment, I'm going, to, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to get kids here, I'm going to be comfortable. God has a way of not only, you know, shaping you to who he wants you to be, but doing it with great difficulty too. Jonah, remember Jonah? He has a way of jolting you out of peaceful, comfortable lives and pushing you out to do what he wants you to do. If you don't do that willfully, he has a way to do that. My friend Reagan, he's an elder pastor friend, he says something like this, you either obey God today or he will make you obey. Especially because you are his child. And since you are his child and he is your father, he does not want the worst for you. He wants the best for you. You either obey God today or he will make you obey. And so the church grew in spite of persecution. That's why I began this whole message with, by saying, you will grow, you will grow. Mira Road, light of life will grow. But this is how you grow, through the word. Disciples taking the word seriously, facing challenges biblically, and solving them biblically without compromise. Support your elder as he, as he pours his Mine and, and as a brother, uh, fellow brother of Mario, I, I want to challenge you. Pour your mind into the word and in prayer for everybody. Fellow elders that are with Mario, pour your mind into the word and elders. Pray for your people. Make sure that the disciples are growing. Change people through the word. Correct. Rebuke through the word. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, right? All scriptures God breathed and is useful for correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness. It's through the word that you train. And when you do that, God does something beautiful. Beyond what you can imagine. This will be multiplied greatly, it says. It will be multiplied greatly. Because God has his people throughout Mumbai. God has his people here in Mira Road Nanda. He has his people here. This will not be sufficient for you. 
a year from now. It should not be. If it is, uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that numerical growth is a direct uh, result of faithfulness. Sometimes you are faithful and numerical growth is not co- does not happen necessarily. Right? But when there is no numerical growth, don't just say, I'm faithful. Ask the questions. What is it that we're doing and we're not doing? Maybe we're doing something that's not biblical. But if you're doing everything that's biblical, doing everything rightly, Keep going, keep pressing on because maybe not you directly, but maybe somebody that is associated with you is working and people will hear the gospel through them. Right. May the Lord further his church. It is Christ who builds his church. It is Christ who grows his church. May we as his people continue to seek him and his glory throughout Mumbai with all our heart. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. May the words of your, the heart that is given here in the word, the meditations of my mind, may it be acceptable in your sight. Bless this church. Continue to help them grow in deeply, widely, for the sake of your name alone, because many people in Mumbai do not know you. Many people in Mumbai need the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is through your church that you will build your church. Churches, plant churches. I want to see so many more churches in Mumbai. And for that, we don't trust our own ability, our own strength. We trust you, God. You will build your church. We will stand on you. We'll stand on the promises of your word. And we will trust it. And when we don't, we will repent and confess and come back to it. Knowing that our good and faithful father will never let us go. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let me just leave you with a benediction. Uh, Pastor Mario said, uh, end with a benediction. Let's look to the book of Jude. And let me, let me send you with this. I know after a sermon like that, uh, it is very difficult to uh, navigate through it without feeling a sense of guilt or an overwhelming feeling of, oh, I have so much to do. But... But uh, let me leave you with this and hopefully comfort you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.